0: Good morning, it is very cool to have you here, and uh, I love the sermon intro video thing that Mark has come up with, it is, it's is—it's pretty cool, so thank you mate. And it's good to have you here, uh, whether you're here at Botany, or whether you are watching this in a living room at Haratake and Shona's place in Hastings, it is cool to have you here, and also if you're listening or watching this online, it's cool to have you here as well. And if you're sitting there going, I don't know why the heck you've just said hi to some people in Hastings, then you weren't here for Vision Sunday last week. And so your job this afternoon or this week is to jump online and to watch or listen to the message from Vision Sunday last week. Because last week we announced that we are starting our first satellite church in Hastings with Harataki and Shona Manahira. So they are sitting down at some point in the next week as a small home church and watching uh, this online. So hi to you guys. It's nice to have you with us along with everyone here at Bonnie this morning. Our theme this year is, uh, as the video just showed us, love right where we are. And we're not talking there about us so much about us loving each other and one another, although that's obviously a biblical thing to do that we should be doing. What we're emphasising this year is the, the call of the Bible to love those around us who don't know Jesus yet. And to love the people around us right where God has placed us, in our homes and in our families In our schools, in our workplaces, in our gyms, in our sports teams, in our craft groups, wherever it is that God's placed you, the call of this year is for us to love the people there who don't know him yet and and raise our evangelistic temperature right across our church. And so we are doing a few different series this year to help um, make that happen in our lives. And the first series we're doing and starting this morning is in the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible with you, either a paper one or an iPad, or you've got the Bible app on your phone, whatever works for you, I want to invite you to pull up Jonah chapter 1 this morning as we dive into this series together. And as you're finding that, I'm also going to get you simultaneously, um, so the guys will struggle with this, the women will be fine, um, multitasking, but I'm going to get you to watch the screen, because if you're not familiar with the story of Jonah, we've just got a fun way to orient you to the whole story this morning. So uh, have a look. And don't jump it.
1: God's story, Jonah. So part of God's story is in the book of Jonah, and it begins like this. God told Jonah, go to the city of Nineveh and tell the people they have been wicked, and they should stop being wicked, or I will destroy them. But Jonah got scared and decided to go to the city of Tarshish by boat. Tarshish is in the opposite direction of where God wanted Jonah to go. Can you imagine running away from God? Anyway, when the boat was at sea, God sent a storm. The storm was so scary that all the sailors thought the ship was going to be destroyed. So they threw a bunch of stuff off the ship. I don't know how less luggage was going to help, but that's what they did. While all this was happening, Jonah was inside the ship sleeping. The captain saw him and said, How can you sleep right now? Pray to your God and ask for help. Then the sailors decided to cast lots to find out who was responsible for the storm. Casting lots is a lot like the lottery. Except when lots are cast, whoever wins doesn't always really win. Like this time, when the lot fell with Jonah. The sailors asked him what he had done to cause the storm, and what they should do to make it stop. Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That will calm the storm. But the sailors didn't want to. They tried really hard to row back to shore, but the ship just didn't go anywhere. So the sailors apologized to God for throwing Jonah overboard. And then, they threw him overboard. I don't know if they ever apologized to Jonah, but God is the one who made the scary storm. And if you're gonna apologize to anyone, you should apologize to God. It's just a good idea in general. So as soon as Jonah was off the boat, the storm stopped. I wonder if Jonah thought to himself, what am I gonna do now? Well, God had an answer. All of a sudden, a big fish swallowed Jonah. Yep, Jonah was now inside a fish. Things went from bad to worse real quick. Now, the Bible says a fish swallowed Jonah. We don't know if it was a whale or something else. But whatever it was, it had to be big enough to swallow a man whole without having to chew. Kids, always chew your food before swallowing. You're not a giant fish. Anyway, Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Can you imagine being stuck in a dark and stinky place for three days straight? Like a porta potty well imagine being inside a big fish dark and sloshy and really stinky basically a porta potty with fins after the three stinky days God made the fish spit out Jonah actually, fish can't really spit Jonah got vomited out vomit is also known as puke, barf, pearl, oatmeal seconds upchuck, blown grits, ralph toss cookies, technicolor yawn, and chunder basically the fish got rid of Jonah through its mouth do you get the idea? So while stinky Jonah was there on the beach, God told him a second time to go to Nineveh and tell the people to stop being wicked. This time, Jonah went to Nineveh. Listening to God is always a good idea. When he arrived, he told the people that God said they should turn from their evil ways. They believed him, so everyone, and I mean everyone, fasted and put on sackcloths. Fasting is when you don't eat and pray really, really hard. Putting on a sackcloth is putting on a sackcloth. Now when God saw how they had stopped doing bad things and were really sorry, he decided not to destroy them. And that's the book of Jonah. So in case you missed it, here's the quick version. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah ran away on a boat. Jonah got thrown off the boat to stop a storm. Fish swallowed Jonah. Three days later, fish threw up Jonah. Jonah told people at Nineveh to stop being wicked and they stopped. God didn't destroy them. And that's a part of God's story.
0: All right. Is everyone clear on that? That's the story of Jonah. That's how it works. And I think it's a helpful just, you know, quick overview as well as giving you all the possible words for vomiting and barfing and telling you to always chew your food. So... But there you go. Now, on your seats uh, this morning here at Botany, uh, you have a new journal that we've produced for this series. If you're in Hastings, uh, Harataki and Shona are going to have these uh, at home there as well. And I just want you to grab that journal because I'm going to invite you to follow along on this journey through Jonah over the next five weeks. And I just want to orient you very quickly um, to how the journal works. It's in three sections. The back third ask some community group questions. So if you are in one of our community groups, we're asking all of our community groups over the next couple of months to journey together through the book of Jonah. So if you're a community group leader, here's some questions for you. I'm going to be emailing you a few suggestions, by the way, this week. But we'd love you to kind of journey together as a whole church as we're exploring this. And again, if you are not in a community group, best time of the year to join is at the very beginning of the year. So Uh, Talk to Robin, email Robin, give him a call, and find out about community groups and engage uh, and jump into Jonah. So that's the back third. The middle third, if you just turn where the staples are, is um, double pages for sermon notes. So if you're a writer or a doodler and you want to either write notes or draw pictures uh, during the sermon, then there's a double page for each of the sermons in the series, including Easter. We're going to do the Easter service as a bridge out of the Jonah series, so that's in the middle. And then at the front are some personal study questions, because I want to give you a challenge over the next four or five weeks. And the challenge is, I want to invite you to dive into the book of Jonah for yourself. And so what we have done is on four double pages, we have printed the full text of Jonah across four pages, the four chapters, and that's on the left-hand side of those, And then on the right-hand side is a series of five questions that are simply there to help you jump into the passage and understand it and study it for yourself. And so the challenge is going to be that I'm going to ask you this week to study Jonah chapter 1 for yourself before I preach most of Jonah chapter 1. So today, we're just going to do the first three verses and introduce the book, and I'm going to read that in a minute. And then next week, I'm going to preach the rest of Jonah chapter 1. So my challenge is for you to read Jonah chapter 1 and you to, excuse the pun, you to dive into the chapter for yourself before you come and hear me uh, expound it and bring out some key things. So what I'm actually going to do, I've given you some suggestions on how to do that. And really, all it's about is uh, is slowing down and observing how the writer tells us the story. And the writer of Jonah is absolutely brilliant. And I'm hoping to bring that out, but I want you to kind of mind this for yourself as well. So I've given you five suggestions on how to do this. And so you can either, over the, the five days, working days of the week... You could do one of each of these each day, or you could grab a half an hour of your uh, one evening and turn the TV off and just do it all in one hit. But I want to invite you to dive in by using these five questions. Who are the key characters in this chapter? Where is this action taking place? What happens? What are the main kind of verbs Um, How is the story told? What are some of the key details? And then why? Why has it been written this way? What am I meant to learn out of it? And that's what we're going to do this morning to kind of show how to do it in the first few verses of Jonah. So if you've got Jonah in front of you, let me just quickly read the first three verses, and then we're going to dive into it on the screen here as well. Uh, Jonah 1 verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. We're going to stop there don't look at the re- Oh, I've already shown you the video so you know how it's going to happen but anyway I just want to unpack this these opening verses this introduction to the book and show you how these questions work in the journal and then challenge you to you, you jump into the rest of Jonah chapter 1 this week and see what you find and then come back next Sunday and we'll explore it together so let's work through these five questions the first question is who Who are the key characters? Well, you're going to meet some more key characters later in Jonah chapter 1, but for now, there's two key characters as the story begins. And I'm going to use highlighter, um, but I've suggested in there use a box or circles or underlines. You can use colours if you're into colours. You can do this on the Bible app, by the way. You can highlight in different colours on the Bible app if you'd rather go electronic. Uh, Whatever works for you. But there's two key characters as the story begins. The first character is the Lord. By the way, the main character in Jonah is not the fish. All right? I know that's kinda of, he's there, but the fish is not the main character. And just to give you a clue, neither is Jonah. The main character is God. And God has some pretty profound lessons to teach Jonah. Now, you'll notice that um, we don't actually have God. What we have in the text is the Lord. And I often talk about this when we're in the Old Testament, but Lord, in capital letters, is God's name, Yahweh. And when the text uses his name, Yahweh, instead of God, it's it's warmer, it's more intimate. It's it's trying to show there's relationship with this God, who is the covenant God of Israel. So when it's the Lord speaking to Jonah, there's there's this relationship already there. That's what's being emphasised. So the first main character is Yahweh, The second main character is Jonah, the son of Amittai. Now, that's all we're told about him in the book. Everything else we're going to learn about Jonah, we have to learn from the text and from the way the story's written. But if you were to jump on any of the Bible software packages online, I use one called Bible Gateway that just brings up Bible verses from whatever translation you want to pick. If you jump on Bible Gateway in the NIV, and you just type Jonah, what you'll find is Jonah's mentioned a bunch of times in the Gospels because Jesus talks about him. We'll get to that at Easter. And he's mentioned, obviously, a bunch of times in the book of Jonah. And he's mentioned one other time in the whole Bible. And he's mentioned in the book of 2 Kings. And it says in 2 Kings, he, which is the king of the time, um, called Jeroboam II, uh, King Jeroboam was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Libo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of Yahweh, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittites, the same guy, the prophet from gath Hepher. So we're told a couple of extra things um, in this verse about Jonah. So he is explicitly called a prophet here. He's not actually called a prophet in the book of Jonah. It's kind of like he doesn't really behave like a prophet in the book of Jonah, but he is actually a prophet. That's why the word of the Lord comes to him. And he's from a place called Gaphaphia. And if you look look up in an atlas to find where that was, it's in Galilee in the northern parts of Israel. And interestingly enough, it's a couple of miles from Nazareth. So he grows up pretty much in the same backyard as Jesus grew up in, which is kind of cool. It's got nothing to do with the story, but it's kind of cool. So so that's Jonah, he is the son of a guy called Amittai, he is a prophet from Galilee, and he has preached in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now if you were part of our Panorama series a couple of years ago, you'll know that when King Solomon died, the nation of Israel divided in two, Israel to the north, Judah in the south, and Jonah is in the northern kingdom of Israel. They had 19 rulers, and they were all scumbags, none of them followed God. But there was one ruler there who, while he was wicked, God actually blessed him anyway, and he was the most successful ruler of the northern kingdom. His name was Jeroboam second, and that's the king here, that Jonah got to preach to Jeroboam second and to the people of the northern kingdom and say, even though you are wicked and have turned away from Yahweh, the one true God, he's going to bless you anyway, and he is going to actually help you to expand your borders and the reference to Lebo Hamath is, is a little village way up to the north, but it's basically Israel's going to become the same size as it was when Solomon was king. And so Jonah is very rare in the Bible. Normally the prophets were told to give really bad news messages about how sinful and wicked everyone was being. Jonah's message in, at this time was to go to Jeroboam II and all the people of the northern kingdom and say, even though you're wicked, I've got great news for you. God's going to expand your borders and bless you to see if that'll bring you back to him. And so he got to bring a really positive message. God is gracious. God loves you. And it came true. And so he must have been like the dude in the Northern Kingdom. You know, everyone else was like, I don't like any of the other prophets. They're all negative and they keep talking about my sin. But I really like Jonah. Jonah. Because Jonah's positive, and he's upbeat, and he's, you know, he's happy, and he's telling me all this cool stuff, and God's going to bless me, so I don't like any of the other prophets, but I really like Jonah. So Jonah had a sweet life, but then another word of the Lord comes to Jonah, this time in Jonah, and it isn't a good message and it's a bit scary. So, those are that's the who. Those are our two characters. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the main character. And the second main character is Jonah, the prophet. So, where is the second question there uh, in your journal? Where does this take place? And the where question is very important at the very beginning of the story because we're given three locations. In this first um, part of it, verse 2, we're given our first location, which is the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the most important cities of an empire called Assyria. If you think of Syria today and where that is on a map, if you see it on the news, where there's civil war and the ruler Assad is using chemical weapons on his own people and that kind of stuff. Syria of today, that's the same location and just how bad it was then as well as now. In fact, in the Panorama series, I said that Assyria was like the Nazis of the ancient world. And then this week, I read a Jewish author who used exactly the same metaphor. So he's obviously listening to the Botany Life sermons online, which is pretty cool. But he writes, the Assyrians were the Nazi stormtroopers of the ancient world. They were the pitiless, power-crazed foe. For Jonah, Nineveh stood as a symbol of evil incarnate. In fact, one other writer I read this week said for for Jonah to be commanded to go and preach in Nineveh was like a New York Jew in the 1930s being told to go to Adolf Hitler's Berlin and preach judgment. That's the same idea. So before we all sit in judgment of what Jonah's going to do, we actually need to stop and give him a little bit of slack. So, Nineveh, key city of the Assyrians, they're a bunch of Nazis. Um, In fact, Just to give you one brief thing, archaeologists have found relief drawings that they did, kind of like how the Egyptians used to do. One of the key things the Assyrians perfected was skinning alive their prisoners. So that's kind of the people that they were. So when you see Jonah run in the next verse, don't judge him too harshly. So the first where is Nineveh. Going to verse 3 then, there's two other locations for us. He headed for a place called Tarshish, and he went down to a place called Joppa. So Joppa is a port in Israel, pretty much where Tel Aviv is now. Tarshish, there's debate, but most scholars think it's where we would call Spain. So you can list these three locations, but it's when you put them on a map that you suddenly get a really clear picture of what's going on. So there's where he's been sent, there's where he goes, and there's where he's heading. And you immediately get the story, don't you, of these opening few verses. Just by looking at the geography and the locations, you suddenly go, wow, Jonah is running in the opposite direction as far as he can go and as quick as he can go. So that's the where. So we've done two of the questions together already. Who? Two main characters, Yahweh and Jonah. Uh, Where? Those three locations, Jonah is on the run. Third question then in the journal that I'm asking you for each of the chapters of Jonah is what? What happens in this story? What are the key verbs that carry this story along? If you remember back to primary school, which for some of you is quite a long time ago, but the verbs are the doing words. Remember that? So what are the key verbs in the story? And you don't want to underline every verb. I suggest you underline, but you can use a color highlighter if you want. You don't underline every verb. You underline the main verbs. What carries the action? So in verse 2, there's two key verbs that go together. Go and preach. That's the essence of what what God's command is. You know, there's a verb earlier in verse 1, the word of the Lord came, you know, wickedness has come up. But I actually think what carries the story here, the key verbs, is go and preach. Now, those two words go together for Jonah. And this is where we have to be sympathetic to Jonah. You read a lot of the other Old Testament prophets, and the word of the Lord will come to them and say, preach against these people. So there's another uh, minor prophet, which is the section where Jonah is, called Nahum. And Nahum is told a generation after Jonah to preach to exactly the same people, the Ninevites. So Nahum has to preach as well against the Nazis. But Nahum gets to stay in Israel and just simply go, you guys are about a bunch of punks and if you don't repent, you are going to get nuked by our God, Yahweh. So it's the same message, but Nahum gets to do it from home. Jonah is not told preach. Preach. He's told, "Go and preach." That's a very different command than most of the minor, than most of the prophets received. So that's the first kind of key words. In the next verse, there's another key word. There's a lot of verbs in verse three, which we will come back to. But the main verb, if you were to summarize the verse, the main verb is ran. He ran away. In fact, it's so important the writer repeats it at the end. You notice that? Jonah ran away from the Lord. He headed for Tarshish. He went out to Joppa, found a ship, bound for that port. He paid the fare. He went abroad and he sailed for Tarshish. And you know what? There could be a full stop right there. There's actually no reason for the writer to put that last little line, except that he's repeating it to underline it for emphasis. He's just reminding us at the beginning and at the end of this little verse Jonah is running from God. He's on the run. If you look at that little, in the journal there, under this section about what, what are the main verbs, what what actually happens here, what do the people do and say, I suggest at the end of that, how would you summarise this in just a sentence? Because it's often good just to kind of pull it together and go, okay, so what's happening here? So if you were to summarise just verses one to three, the introduction of this book, you'd say, Yahweh commanded Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh, and Jonah took off. That's, that's the summary, isn't it? That's the, the basics. But it's trying to just get your head around what is the basic story here. So I'm going to get you to write a summary, which is going to be harder for you, of the whole of chapter one uh, during this week. So that's the who, that's the where, that's the what. The fourth question is how. How is the story told? And what you're looking for when you ask the how is the other stuff. It's some of the ways that the author actually narrates the story, and so there may be some key words that you need to circle, which is what I suggest in the book. So you know, circle some key words that are just quite important, or, or look for some ways that it's actually telling the story. And I want to just pull out a few here, and I've been doing this for a while, so you may look at what I pull out and go, "Good night, I never would have seen that." But this takes practice, and it's just simply a matter of. Slowing yourself down, because we hurry through when we read the Bible. It's just slowing down and noticing stuff. And when you start to notice things, it's quite fascinating. For example, back in verses 1 and 2, the whole book begins with this phrase, the word of Yahweh, the word of the Lord. We've already put a box or highlighted Yahweh's name, but this phrase is a very special phrase through the Old Testament. This is a phrase meaning God has spoken and this is his message. The word of the Lord came, the word of Yahweh. This is in an age when they don't have a Bible yet. This is the equivalent of Bible. The word of Yahweh came. And so that's just something to observe. This is a message that is being given to Jonah by Almighty God, so even though the name Yahweh is used to emphasize relationship, God has commanded Jonah. So the implication is Jonah had better jolly well obey what God has said. So that's the first thing I would notice here. Second thing in verse 2 is a really, really important word. And these are the words we go skipping past, but it's good to stop and observe. It's this word. Oh, there we go. Because. What does because mean? What does because introduce? It introduces a reason. So Yahweh says to Jonah, go and preach to Nineveh. Why? Because, and the rest of the sentence gives the reason, its wickedness has come up before me. So what happens in verse two is God gives the command, go and preach, and then he gives Jonah the reason, because it's incredibly wicked. And what's interesting is if you just back up from the word because, you notice what I've highlighted. Jonah's not told to preach to the city of Nineveh. If God had said to him, preach to Nineveh, that would suggest that Jonah's going with a call for them to repent, and a, a, an option, a possibility for them to come to God. He doesn't get told to preach for the city of Nineveh as so though he's bringing a really positive message like he's delivered to Israel. God specifically says, preach against it. What does that mean? Is that a good message or a bad message? that's no, bad. It's a message of judgment. So even before we get to hear the message later, which we won't even see the message till chapter 3, uh, we already know that the message Jonah's being told to deliver is a negative one. Go preach against it. Why? Because its wickedness has come up before me. Third observation, and this one you wouldn't pick up unless you were reading the whole book and reading some people to help you, but I want you to see it. It's very important. It's a very important word in the book of Jonah, the word great. That word gets repeated 14 times in this book. Six times, it's referencing Nineveh. It's a great city. But then other times in the book, it's used to reference other things, especially the things that God will use. In the next few verses, he will send a great wind and a great storm. Later on, he will send a great fish. And then in chapter 4, which is going to be the surprise, Jonah is going to have a great anger. And this word great becomes one of the key words of the book. In fact, if you look at the sermon notes pages, you'll notice that all of the sermons in this series are going to use that word. A great call, a great storm, a great fish, a great city, a great lesson. Because it's one of the key words that the author's using to make the story flow. Right, into verse 3, let me uh, give you three other observations here. The start of verse three is one of those little words that ordinarily, you and me, when we're in a hurry to have our Bible reading and get it out of the way, we go flying past it. But it's one of the most important words you'll ever come across in the Bible. And it comes across heaps. And this is where we do have to slow down as you study God's word. Because that little word is loaded. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah, go and preach, verse three but. Now, you don't need to read anything more. You already know God has said, go and preach, and then you read, but. Now, you already know it's going to turn to custard, don't you? Just because that little word's sitting there. It's a key word. So every time you see the word but as you study, and this is why I've given you the text in the journal, because I would love you to pull out a pen and some highlighters and go to town Most of you are scared to actually do it on this, which I would actually say, go for it. Use it up in a year and buy another one. But if you don't want to do that, then grab that journal and grab a pen and circle the word but. Or if you've got the app on your phone, use one of the highlighters. And every time you see a word like but, highlight it. Therefore, highlight it immediately. Highlight it. These are key words that are carrying the story forward. So that's the first word. But the word of the Lord came to Yahweh, uh, sorry, Yahweh's word came to Jonah Go and preach, but Jonah, you already know it's going to turn to custard. Right. right, second thing I want to show you, as I mentioned earlier, the main verb in verse 3 is he ran away. But there's a heap of other words, and when you stop and read it carefully, it's like a list of all these things that he does, all of these action words. And actually, when you read it, it goes really quick. He ran away from Yahweh and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, he found a ship, he paid the fare, he went aboard, he set sail. So it's like the the way that the the, the writer has written verse 3, and we don't know whether Jonah wrote this later or whether someone else wrote it. We don't know who wrote it. But the way it's written is awesome. He ran away, and he did that and that and that and that and that, and he's gone. So it's meant to give the suggestion, just the way it's been written, that he runs, and he runs really fast. He doesn't pack a bag. He doesn't sell his house. He doesn't sort out the furniture. He doesn't find someone to look after the dog. He just runs, and he gets to Joppa, and he finds a ship, and he pays the fare, and he jumps on it, and they are out of there on the, on the evening tide. That's basically the way it's written. And when you notice that, and when you start to go, man, look at all these other verbs, It's the the impression that the author is wanting to give us, that he is on the run, and he is on the run really quick. The final observation I want to make um, in this kind of how section is one of the most important words in chapter one. It only occurs a few times, but it carries the storyline. It's this word, down, down. He goes down to Joppa. Now, partly that's a geographical reference because most of Israel is hill country, and so if you're going to go down to the port on the seaside, you're going to go downhill. But actually what he's also doing is he's going down in terms of his journey with God. He's moving away from God and heading downhill. And the word down will be used a few other times through chapter 1. He went down to Joppa. And then at the end here, and this is where sometimes our translations don't help us a lot, but he went down onto the ship. And then when you get to verse 5, he goes down into the ship to go and lie down. And then by the time you get to chapter 2, verse 6, he has gone down to Sheol, which is the place of death. So it's kind of like Jonah runs, but the path he runs on is a downward journey away from God and in fact as we stop and think about the last question the why question and I kind of try and pull this together this morning this is my big idea this is what I think just these opening few verses as they set the scene for the book of Jonah are wanting to teach us this is not the summary of what happens the summary is you know the word of Yahweh came to Jonah go and preach and Jonah took off but this I think is the theological lesson the spiritual principle we're meant to glean from this That running from God may seem easy, but it's always a downward journey. It's exactly what we're going to see as the rest of chapter one is going to unfold as you jump into that this week. That actually, Jonah may run from God, and it may all come together for him to do that. But when you run from God, it's always a downward journey. Let me just speak to those two lines really briefly for a minute. As a pastor, I've talked to lots of people who have chosen for various reasons and in various ways to walk away from God. They want to pursue life choices or they've made some decisions or they're, they're angry or disappointed about stuff that's happened in their life and they just maybe not run but, but kind of walk or, or wander from God. And you know, often that's a pretty easy thing to do. You just kind of shrug your shoulders and turn your back and, and walk away. And often I've talked to people who have walked away from God and they've given me reasons as though though God himself has just given them circumstances to make it happen. God's just made it easy for them. It just feels like the path to walk away from God has been laid out for them. And I was thinking about this week and I came across a statement from an American pastor called J.D. Greer and he makes a brilliant statement. J.D. says this, If you want to disobey, there will always be a ship prepared to take you to Tarshish. I I love that. If you want to disobey, there will always be a ship prepared to take you to Tarshish. If your marriage is struggling and you want to have an affair, the enemy will always provide someone for you to have an affair with. If you're in a conflict with a person and rather than forgiving them, you would rather gossip about them behind their back, the enemy will always give you someone across the coffee table that you can talk to. If you're struggling with materialism and a, and a need to somehow satisfy some stuff deep in your soul by shopping and spending money, the enemy will always provide you with another mail order catalogue. If you have a struggle with lust, the enemy will always provide you with another website. Just because there is an opportunity. Just because circumstances may open up doesn't mean God is blessing that path or telling you to go. And if you know to walk down that path is contrary to what God has said and you choose to walk down that path, make no mistake, you are running from God. You may still have the same home address. You may not leave the neighborhood, but you're on the run nonetheless. And J.D. Greer is right. If you want to disobey, there is always going to be a ship. You can imagine Jonah, can't you? On the run, gets to Joppa. Oh, look at that. There's a boat. Where are you going? Tarshish. Oh, man. That's exactly where I want to go. How much? Oh, is that all? Brilliant. It's just all lined up. Yes, because the enemy does that. If you want to disobey, there's always a ship. Running from God for Jonah seemed easy. It all came together, it was very easy to do. But here's what that little verse is trying to tell us in verse 3 as it begins to introduce this basic little word, down. It is always a downward journey. It may feel good. It may make you happy. It may meet some need. But it's always a downward step. Always. That's what Scripture teaches us. In Galatians 6, an incredibly important passage Paul wrote, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked, a man reaps what he sows, a woman reaps what she sows, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. It always comes back, it always comes back. And that's exactly what is going to happen starting in the very next verse of Jonah, As Jonah runs from God, God's going to pursue him in a way that is going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Because even though running from God may seem easy, it is always going to be a downward step. So, the challenge this week then, and I would love every single one of you to do this, here, Hastings, wherever, is to take the journal home and this week look at the rest of Jonah chapter 1. I've started you off, first three verses. You can circle and underline all those things. And then it's kind of like, it's looking good already. And then I want you to do the rest of Jonah 1, and then together next Sunday, and we will explore that passage together. As we finish this morning, though, I want to pull this Jonah series together in a a different way, each, each message. The book of Jonah, even today, is read once a year publicly in the Jewish synagogues. So once a year, they will have the scripture reading from Jonah, and they'll read through the entire book, which actually doesn't take very long. It's actually done on Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, the most sacred year in the Jewish calendar, where they confess their sins, and in ancient times, they'd take the goat and slaughter it and send another goat out into the wilderness carrying their sins. It's the day they deal with the fact their sin is before a holy God. But in modern times, when the book of Jonah is read in the synagogue... At the end of the reading, everyone in the synagogue out loud echoes three words together. I am Jonah. Do you want to say that with me? Ready? I am Jonah. And what they've done, what they're doing, is they're acknowledging while it would be very easy to sit in judgment of this guy... The book of Jonah is actually meant to be a mirror. And we're not meant to sit in judgment of Jonah. We're meant to sit in judgment of ourselves. Because when we read the book, we are meant to read every time we put it down, we're meant to say to ourselves, I am Jonah. So each of these messages, I want to give you a series of statements to reflect on how you and I might be Jonah, and I want to give you three this morning as we finish up this message. first one is this. I am Jonah when I say no to what God has clearly said. I am Jonah when I say no to what God has clearly said. God clearly said to Jonah, go and preach in Nineveh. He has clearly said to you and I, through Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations. And as we said last week, and the reason why we're talking about raising the evangelistic temperature of our church is because each of us, if we're a follower of Jesus, we have a responsibility to tell others about Jesus. And most of us don't do it because we're dead scared. But we need to own that fear and say, I am Jonah. Because I'm saying no to God when I don't do what he's commanded. He says, go, and make disciples, and share my message. God has clearly said in his word, pray continually. And as I confessed last year, I've always struggled with prayer. But there's a host of commands in the Bible. When you stop and start looking at them, God says, do not commit sexual immorality. Whenever you engage in sex outside of marriage, that's sin. And you're saying no to God. The Bible clearly says do not lie. Clearly says do not gossip. Clearly says do not covet what someone else has got. Their house or their car or their spouse or their vacations. Man, when you start looking at the list of what God has said, you and I are saying no quite often. And whenever we say no, whenever we disobey, I am Jonah. Second reflection. I am Jonah when I resist God altering my life plan. I am Jonah when I resist God changing the plans that I have for my life. I said earlier, you know that reference in, in back in Second Kings, Jonah was, was the toast of the town. He got to share this wonderful message. Even though you're wicked, God is going to bless you and he's going to expand our borders and, and isn't it great and God loves you and he had this wonderful, positive message to share. And I wonder if he just basked in that for a while until this new message came. Go and preach to Nineveh. Go and preach against it. And suddenly the wonderful joy that Jonah was having was, was over. It was like, well, hold on a minute. This is not, you know, I was gonna be the prophet to Israel. Send someone else, send Nahum. He'll go. But this is my role, God. And, and God comes in and now changes the whole direction of, of Jonah's life. And Jonah doesn't like that. In fact, I love the way Priscilla Shira grabs this. She's written a book on Jonah called Life Interrupted. And she puts it this way. Um, he was living the prophet's dream. He was more than content with uh, for things to keep on going the way that always gone. He was living for God, doing his work and doing it well, and then God changed it. You think about the times where you feel this overwhelming conviction of the Holy Spirit that God wants you to go in a different direction. Go, go and answer a call or to take up something new or hit something different. You, you think about the ways that God allows things to come into our lives that, that take us in a whole new direction through illness or sickness or circumstances or something goes wrong in our lives and we resist what God is doing to us. And every time we're resistant to God and we go, no, God, I want to stay here. That's when I am Jonah. Third one, I am Jonah when I would rather be comfortable than obedient. If that had been me, stay in Israel where everyone likes you and thinks you're an awesome preacher versus go to the guys who might skin you alive and tell them God is going to judge them. I think I'd want to be comfortable. And the fact of the matter is, we do this a lot, don't we? We we can't read Jonah and shake our heads at him and click our tongues. Can't believe he ran. Because this is a mirror. This book is not so much about Jonah as it is about you and me. I am Jonah. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you a minute. And I want to invite you to look at those three statements and pick one and then just quietly come to God with open hands and open heart and say, God, I am Jonah. Would you help me with whatever one of these I need to work on? I just want to give you a minute to talk to God however you want to do that. You can write something in the journal if you want. You can just pray. I just want to leave you with God for a few seconds and then I'll pray. I pray, I'm going to ask the band if they would come up and they're going to lead us in one closing song, a song I've come to really love called Come to the Altar. It's an invitation to come to a God of grace and forgiveness. And I just I just feel like I want to say some of you listening to this today, whether you're sitting here at Bonnie, whether you're watching this in Hastings, whether you're somewhere else getting this over the internet, you were on the run. You may not have changed a dress, but you are not walking with God the way that he's called you to do. And I just, I feel like a sense that I just want to tell you today. He's a God with open arms who is waiting for you to come home before he needs to send the storm. Would you just come Would you leave your rebellion behind and return to a God of grace? Come, because he's the God with arms wide open. Abba, Papa, Father, we are Jonah. And as we look at his life, as we think about these reflections, we have to be honest and say this mirror is right on us. Lord, we say no to you and run whenever we disobey what you've said. We re- resist you and say it's unfair whenever things don't turn out how we want. We would always rather be more comfortable than more obedient. But Jonah reminds us, God, that when we run, when we say no, when we disobey, it's part of a downward journey. So today, we respond to the call of Jonah and come back to you. We run, not away, but we run to you. So we come back to you today at the God of all grace. And we confess our sin, whether it's for the first time ever, whether it's for the thousandth time, we come on, as Jonah. ask for your forgiveness and your restoration through Jesus.